fiddled to be with dad throughout the day and just decided, well, I'll stay out of town overnight. I'll call dad in the morning. And I, I sent dad a text yesterday morning at about 7 a.m. just saying, hey, call me when you wake up, figuring you'd sleep pretty well. And the phone rang just as soon as I hit send. And uh, it was dad and basically trying to say he's, he's going to be okay and going to be fine and same thing, thinking he's going to go fix the roof next week. He'd like to. And um, I just told him, you know, I'll, I'll come home, make sure everything's handled for service tomorrow morning. And um, just so you know, we can do this for a long time. Dad loves to be here. I know you guys love Dad, but uh, he needs to recover. He needs healing. And uh, for as long as that takes, we'll be okay. And uh, 11 o'clock the night that the news broke, um, I got a, I received a text from Jeff David, who many of you know very well, um, lives up in the Seattle area, but he had been here for quite a few years. He's a missionary for, from our organization, but he just sent a text that, hey, I heard about your dad. I uh, just want you to know that any coverage you need, teaching, Sundays, whatever, just, just let me know. And so I told, told Jeff, I'll talk with dad because I'm sure he wants to be here today, and <laughs> he wants to be here next week, but we we have what we need. God supplies that stuff, and uh, we'll continue to function um, as long as uh, Dad needs to heal. It'll be okay, um, but uh, I am used to being a substitute for Dad um, when he goes skiing and those kind of things, which he's not going to be doing that anytime soon. But to, when he goes skiing, uh, you know, I'm the guy that he calls and says, hey, I want you to cover this date or that date. And and that's always great. And I usually have several weeks notice. Even if dad doesn't tell me they're going to go skiing, Vicky's the one that'll let me know, hey, did, I don't know if dad told you he's going to be gone in two weeks. So I usually have time to, to prepare and to think. Um, that was not the case this time. I'm not just a substitute. I'm an emergency substitute. And uh, with, with that thought, I just began to think, like, well, you know, what are the passages my wife and I have been talking about lately? And then what are messages I've spoke on Sunday mornings that I cover for Dad over the last year or two that are pretty fresh still? Um, so I began to think about that. I, I realized Marina and I have been talking about Romans 8 a little bit. And then I realized Dad did a series on Romans back in uh, 2021, stretched into 2022. And one of those times that he asked me to cover um, was right at the beginning of January 22. And I happened to land on one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where it says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And perhaps more than any other promise in the Bible, this verse has helped people to trust God through experiences in life that seem utterly pointless and painful or perhaps even evil. People have held fast to this all things and believe the word of God that this too, this terrible thing, this seemingly pointless thing, will ultimately turn out for my good. It's strange. I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly evaluating everything in life with these two possibilities. Is it good or is it bad? 
We do it when we go to dinner. Was that good or was that bad? If it's bad, I'm never coming back. Um, was the service good or bad? If the service is bad, I'm never coming back. You know, um, we do this with everything. Was it good or bad? And we categorize things being good if it's comfortable, if it gives, provides some kind of pleasure. And in the experience, we somehow escape everything that's bad, right? We categorize something as bad if it doesn't provide comfort or pleasure. And we keep uh, a list of these things. We avoid the bad and we run to what we think is good. Our understanding of what good and bad are can be quite different from the way the Lord sees it from his perspective. As a Christian, we should believe this, that sooner or later, that all sorrows and pains and disappointments and losses will work for good. Paul's not saying that all things are good. He's saying that all things are turned by God for good. So a couple of questions that we have to ask ourselves when we look at this promise from Scripture. First question is, is this promise for me? Is this promise for us? Because this promise is not for everyone. All things do not work together for good for everybody. The promise that God will turn all things for good is not true in everyone's case. As you look at scripture here, there are two things that need to be true for this promise to apply to you or to us. One is that you love God. And then the other is that you're called according to his purpose. Paul says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So if we just read this, just look at it for what Paul said. If you do not love God, you cannot claim this promise. If you're not called according to his purpose, you cannot claim this promise. We could put it another way. For the person who does not love God, the one not called according to his purpose, final optimism is foolish and it's completely out of place. For the one who doesn't love God and is not called according to his purpose, pessimism is the exactly right state of mind. Things are not going to work out for their good. Romans chapter 2, verse 5 describes the way this person's experiences affect their future. It says, because of your hard and unrepentant heart, basically, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So in other words, the experiences that this person walks through each day do not turn out for good. Paul says they're going to turn out for wrath. Sure, they might experience pleasant things someday, things that are comfortable, bring them pleasure. But they don't thank God for it. They might worship certain things with their lives. But even those things that they worship, if they do not love God, they're not called according to his purposes, even those things that they celebrate will condemn them someday. 
the painful things that they experience without trusting God for his help just are another thing storing up wrath for the last day. And this person, they might look poor or destitute in life, or they might look exceedingly wealthy, successful, prosperous. But if they do not love God and they are not called according to his purposes, all these experiences are not leading to good. They're leading to final misery. And this is not the way we want it to be for our lives, right? Not for me, not for us. We want this promise that Paul gives in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, to be true for us. We want all things working together for our good, not for our condemnation. So what has to be true of us? Very simply, Paul says you must love God. This is for those who love God. This is the first thing. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. What does it mean to love God? One of the writers that, uh, actually Jeff David was the one that gave me this guy's book and said you need to read this. He defines it this way. This is the essence of what it means to love God, to be satisfied in him. Not just his gifts, but God himself as the glorious one that he is. The writer goes on and says, loving God will include obeying all his commands. It will include believing all his word. It will include thanking him for his gifts. But all of that is just overflow. The essence of loving God is admiring, enjoying all that he is. And it is this enjoyment of God that makes all of our other responses truly glorifying to him. I think we all know this intuitively. I mean, this is a writer who does this every day, and he can say things eloquently. Certainly, Scripture presents this idea. But we, we know this just in our normal relationships with each other. Do you feel most honored by those who support you or serve you out of a sense of duty, like they're constrained by duty to do that? Or... Do you feel most honored and appreciated and loved by those who do those things for you just out of fellowship, just out of connection to you? My wife is most honored when I say, it makes me happy to spend time with you. I love spending time with you. And my happiness, spending time with her, it's really just an echo of what I see as her excellence. I want to be with her because I think she's awesome. And so it is with God. He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in who he is. I don't think any of us have arrived at perfect satisfaction I don't know about you, but there's times where I get upset with myself when I listen to myself, start complaining a little bit about how things aren't going my way, and I've lost some earthly convenience or comfort, and it's really annoying to me, and I begin to complain and whine a little bit, have a moment of weakness. This is just like every other relationship that we have. But in those who are called, love for God is the defining thing for their spiritual lives. It's an abiding condition of their hearts, whether they're strong 
or whether they are weak. And so Paul's not saying that all things work together for Christians some of the time when their love for God is really strong. He's not saying all things do not work together for Christians some of the time when their love of God is a little weak. What he is saying is that for Christians, those who are called and those who have a heart that just loves God, all things work for good all the time. All things. That includes what we would call bad things. We have these running lists. This is a good thing and this is a bad thing. Paul says, I'm talking to you about all things. Both of your list. This includes bad things. So when Romans 8.28 says, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. We have a taste of the kind of things that are included in all things. And it's not all what we would categorize as good things. In fact, all things includes what we would categorize sometimes as bad things. I really don't, I, I get upset that Marina I visited a church, it's uh, been a month or two ago, and it's, it's never good when Marina takes me to a, a church to check in on a friend because she does it because they're my friend and they love the Lord and I just want to go to their church. And all I can do is just, what's this pastor going to say today? That's, I'm just, it's hardwired. And eventually somebody will say something that she just feels my arms cross, and she can feel I'm upset, and we walk to the car. I don't make pleasantries on the way out. I just kind of let her smile and walk around. We get in the car, and I'm like, that was awful. can't believe they just said that. Well, somebody used this specific passage in the most terrible way. And for like two hours, she had to listen to me complain about how terrible it is to use this passage in this way. And so that's why we've been talking about Romans chapter 8 a lot lately. I can't stand it when something this profound is lifted from its context and used in some really surface level, just silly, trivial way. The reason this is such an amazing and beautiful promise to us is because of the context here, what comes before Paul makes this promise. We need encouragement and we need hope because before this promise is made, the prospect of the Christian life that Paul describes is pretty bleak. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17, he says that we will be glorified in Christ if we suffer with him. That's something I categorize on the bad list, right? Suffering, that's not pleasurable, that's not comfortable. Verse 18 says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be. He's saying... By God's grace, I know that I have this everlasting fountain of joy, and so that is overwhelming. It transcends these momentary sufferings, which he says are just light. As the psalmist describes it, Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. This is the result of hearing and responding to the call of God. This is not 
something that happens really over and over. This is an effective, once and for all work of God to call us from death to life. God calls us and we respond and we realize he's brought me from darkness to light. He's delivered me from the power of Satan over my life. I'm no longer an enemy of God, but I have love for God because I have received his love toward me. And the call into love and faith, it is once and for all. And this is a mark of a person who truly loves God. And there's moments of intensity and there's moments of weakness, but we love God because we recognize he loves us and he called me from death to life. Verse 20 says this, that creation, and that includes us, is subjected to futility. Verse 21 says that creation is in bondage to decay. For some reason, a few years ago, I decided to look at how much the U.S. Um, cosmetic industry and then like uh, the like skin rejuvenation industry and plastic surgery industry makes on an annual basis, and it was staggering. And I don't even want to throw the, the figures out because this was pre-COVID when everything was still fairly affordable. It's incredible how much money we spend as Americans trying to um, deny the truth here that we are in bondage to decay. But the mirror tells the truth every morning. I wake up and I realize what Paul wrote is correct. I am in bondage to decay. I look way worse yesterday or today than I did yesterday. And if I hold up a picture from 10 years ago, I just get sad. I am in bondage to decay. We're all in bondage to decay. Save your money. Just accept it. Paul wrote is right. Verse 23 says that even spirit-filled Christians groan with the fallen creation, awaiting our adoption. We, we await the redemption of our weak and our sick and our dying bodies. Thank God that that's promised to us, right? There's a day where decay will be no more. <laughs> verse 24 says we've been saved in hope you can't see hope otherwise it wouldn't really be hope and so most of our salvation is invisible and it's still coming it's still in the future no wonder we groan right then in verse 35 it says that there's tribulation and distress and persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. And right in the middle of all this, the realities of life, in the middle of all of it, we have this promise where Paul recognizes, yes, all this stuff is true. And he, he has to deal with the fact this is all true because we all experience this as we go through life. And he says, in spite of all that being true, we know that all things... All things, all this suffering and futility and bondage to decay and groaning and tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, he asks a question. He says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Yes, there will be enemies. There's going to be adversaries and obstacles and miseries and distresses. 
all kinds of opposition and lots of things that come in our life that just seem pointless. Pointless delays and breakdowns. I sent Angela a text because I knew Angela had gone to the hospital to see dad right around the same time as Vicky. And uh, he had woke up and he was alert. She said, he just seems, he seems like dad. He just seems annoyed by just the disruption to life that this is. So many things in life come at us that just seem like pointless delays, seem futile. But Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Why? Because we are loved by the sovereign Lord. Nothing will finally succeed against us. And so if you hear the call of God in the gospel of Christ, our Savior, and if you come to God loving him through Jesus, and if you're trusting in him for the forgiveness of your sins because of his death and burial and his resurrection, because of the blood that he shed for us, and if we receive from him freely this gift of righteousness by faith alone, then all things from the, the good things, the, the good list, the sweetest of things that you experience in life, to what we would call the bad things, the most bitter and painful experiences of life, Paul says, he will cause all those things to work together for your good. That God is with you in his wisdom and his power. He is for you, and because he is for you, nothing will be successful against you. Over and over, as you read the stories of the people of God in Scripture, this promise plays out in their life story. And we can look at examples endlessly. We could just make this a sermon series, and we could spend the rest of the year doing this, seeing this promise at work in the people of faith. I'm just going to give you just a few examples. Stories that you'll be very familiar with. I'm not going to dive deep into them. One of the most familiar examples of this is the story of Joseph. His brothers, it's not, it's not even good to say that they didn't like him, like they hated him. His brothers hated him because he had a dream, and in that dream he saw himself one day reigning over them. And this is why I say they hate him. They threw their little brother into a pit, and then they sold him into slavery in Egypt. They went home and they lied to their father said, you know, he's, he's dead. He was killed by a wild animal. Then Joseph, after being sold into slavery in Egypt, seems to become prosperous in Potiphar's house until the day that Potiphar's wife lies about him and accuses him of trying to violate her. So he's thrown into prison. Even in prison... He gains the trust of the jailer, and so things start to maybe turn around a little bit. Joseph has hope that someday he'll get out of prison. But he waits, and he waits. I think it was 17 years he waited to be delivered from prison. Eventually, he's delivered from prison, and he's appointed basically the vice president of Egypt, and he's put in charge of all the, the food supply of all of Egypt. There's a famine in the land. His family is threatened with starvation, and his father sends his brothers 
to Egypt in search of food. Who do his brothers find when they get to Egypt but their brother Joseph, who they don't recognize? They come to him for help. I'll just give you a few references to this story from Scripture. Genesis chapter 45, verse 7. Joseph, recognizing his brothers and remembering what they had done to him in, his, in their hatred for him, throwing him into a pit and selling him as a slave and telling Father he's dead. He says to them in Genesis chapter 45, verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for many survivors. Notice the word sent. God sent me. You see it again in Psalm 105, verses 16 and 17. It says, When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Joseph says to his brothers, As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This story is the Old Testament version of all things working together for good for God's people. Joseph's understanding is this isn't God just bringing good out of an evil thing. This isn't God just bringing good out of my brother's hatred for me. He's saying God sent me here. God actually ordained this for your good. Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. This is a picture of what the Lord did for us in sending his son to the cross to save us. It says, In the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, even though Jesus was going to the cross and that was a result of the sins of Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles, the people of Israel, it was actually God's sending. They all meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God didn't just bring good out of an evil plan or the evil pain of the cross or out of the slavery of Joseph, but these passages, these stories, tell us God actually planned it for our good. God plans and he purposes and he works things together for our good. You might ask, well, what does it add to my hope to believe this instead of just believing that God has no purpose in the particular evils that come into our lives, but he responds and then he uses them once they happen. One answer would be this. If God's purpose was frustrated before the evil struck me or before it struck you, then why should we believe that his purpose to turn this evil into good will not also be frustrated? So we gain something in recognizing what's seen in these stories where we see God sent Joseph and God sent Christ and planned these events leading to the salvation of Israel and leading to our salvation. We're affirming exactly what the Bible says. And we 
put ourselves on solid foundation, recognizing God is sovereign. And under this promise, I know that he is causing all things to work together for good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. He was sovereign in the past. He's sovereign right now and he's going to be sovereign in the future. One of the churches I walked out of three or four years ago, I didn't even stay to the end of the service and wait to have the discussion with Marina at lunch. Pastor got up and said, God's not really in control, he's just in charge. I'm out, see ya. I don't want that God. (laughs) That's not the God I see here. The one that's sovereign in the past, the one that's sovereign right now, and the one that's sovereign in the future. That's the God we see in Scripture. The story of Esther, and I'll, the story of Esther, it, it, it's so sad. It's a tragedy in one sense. You have this young, beautiful Jewish girl that's forced into a harem of a pagan king, Gentile king. That's tragic. And so you look at the story on the surface and say, why? Why would this happen? And Mordecai gives the answer when the Jews are about to be slaughtered by Haman's wicked plans and schemes. We see God has done this for his people, that through Esther, God's going to do exactly what he did for his people through Joseph. In Esther chapter 4, verse 14, Mordecai puts in a message to Esther, and he says, And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai, God knows. And now we know because we've seen the end of the story. She came to the kingdom through all this humiliation and defilement to save God's people. God works all things together for good for his people. Paul himself, what about the thorn in his flesh? It tormented him. And he prayed and he pleaded and said, God, take it away. But the answer comes to him from Jesus. We see it in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, where Jesus says in response to Paul's prayers, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. He says, in other words, Paul, you have this thorn in your flesh on your bad list. You're calling it a messenger of Satan and I'm telling you, I'm using it for my good and for your good and for glory. All things, even the thorn in the flesh, work together for good. You could ask, what about Paul being thrown in jail all the time for just wanting to share his faith and teach people about what Jesus had done? Here's the way Paul describes the effect of his Roman imprisonment. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak without fear. So I would call it a bad day. I'd put it on the bad list if I got thrown in jail. Paul's saying, hey, being in jail is not so bad. All the prison guards are saved now. They all know Jesus. And you're all really happy out there because you're recognizing it's not that bad to go to jail for speaking the word of Christ. So thank God he sent me to prison. He somehow shifted it over to the good list. I'm still not quite there. If you throw me in jail this afternoon, I'm still going to think it's really bad. Paul's seeing it differently. All things, including imprisonment, working together for good and for God's glory. 
And so what effect should this have on us? One of you this morning that uh, knows my wife's family well offered prayer and support this morning, and I really appreciate that. You know, Marina, um, both of her parents have pretty significant health things going on. Her mom lives close. She lives here, and so Marina and her brother Scotty are often able to divide up you know, the responsibility of just making sure she has what she needs, and they, they're able to check up on her often and that's great and it kind of bonds Marina and Scotty to speak often about you know how's mom but their dad who lives up in Anacortes also has some pretty major health issues and um, we were thinking a couple of years ago we, d we don't know how many more trips he'll be able to make this way and we don't know how often we would see him I mean he really he, he's on borrowed time he, he's already lived a few years past what the doctors told him he would have so a couple years ago, two and a half years ago maybe, um, there was a time where Marina just quit her job and started spending a lot of time in Anacortes, and now we go up there once a month just to see your dad. It's not good. Like, I look at, especially with her dad, I look at his condition, and I don't, I don't call it good. He's not comfortable. It's not pleasurable, the things that his body is doing to him. He is in bondage to decay. He's feeling the full effects of that. But I'll tell you what has been good and beautiful for the last two years, Marina and I and our son Evan, who's younger, who has no choice, he just goes with us. We've been able just to spend time on Grandpa's couch. And, he, you know, Marina's dad's telling every story he can tell. He's reliving the life that God's allowed him to experience. And he now knows Evan well, and Evan knows Grandpa well. And when we get together, we don't talk about how sick Grandpa is. We don't talk about all the things going on with his body. We laugh sometimes till we cry, and we eat way too much food because really, like, who cares if the doctor told him he can't have food? He just wants to enjoy life, right? So we have a beautiful time, and watching the closeness between Marina and her dad here at the end stages of life, and, and seeing even how that's brought Marina and I close together as we make these trips back and forth. There is beauty in it, and there's good in it, but the thing that drove us to that is something we'd always categorize in the bad category. It's not fun that he's sick. It's not fun that he's aging. It's not fun that his body's in bondage to decay. But how beautiful is it that God has given us the opportunity to just love each other through all of that? What effect does this promise that God causes all things to work together for our good have on us? You know, if you're not a believer, I pray that it would have this effect, that it would cause you to turn to him and to trust him, to receive the love of God that he wants to shed abroad upon you, and that you would respond to him the only way that you can when you experience that, and that's you love him in return, just for who he is. That having God on your side and not against you is something you would see as infinitely important. Remember, if God is for you, who can then be against you? That you would trust him and trust that he's working all things for your good. For all of us, I hope that we would recognize the promise of Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is kind of this battle cry 
that we would understand, well, if I really believe that all things work together for my good, then I cannot ultimately be defeated in the cause of Christ, then why not live a life of radical obedience and faith? Take risk even in spreading and declaring God's goodness in all things. Even maybe to go to a hard place or do a hard thing because of the cause of love. And that this promise is really a call for us to spend our lives for Christ and for his kingdom. To do something with the gifts that he's given us. Collectively and individually. This might be a call just to let yourself dream about how you might invest your life to move towards need rather than towards comfort. And Romans 8.28 is a trumpet call to follow Jesus closely, no matter the cost. Because whatever the cost is, ultimately you know it's working out for your good. We'll stop there. Heavenly Father, what a privilege to just be with your people and to consider your word, knowing that by your spirit you teach us and you change us and transform us for your purpose and for your kingdom and for your glory. And Lord, it's also for our good because you love us. And so Lord, our only rightful response to the way that you love us is to honor and to glorify you to respond to your love with just an echo of love back. Thank you for loving us. And we recognize today that you don't love us because we earned it or deserve it, but you love us because you're gracious and you're kind and you're merciful. Thank you for what was given to us when you sent Jesus, your son, to die on a cross for our sin and the blood that he shed for the cleansing of sin that we can be seen as righteous in your sight apart from any effort or works on our part but through the finished work of Calvary. Lord, help us to respond to this promise today that you're causing all things to work together for good with a life that says, Lord, I will just do what you ask me to do. I'll go where you call me to go, trusting that no matter the cost, you cause all things to work together for our good. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Everybody have a great week.